Today on Ag News Daily. And there's a place to go relax. And there's a reason why you're doing it. Because it's really easy to become jaded sometimes, I think. And, you know, I'm not here to be some type of guru. I'm just here to help facilitate healing. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Veterans Day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Selene Howell joined by Ashton Carr and Ashton. It might be a little bit of a slower news day today, but we are celebrating Veterans Day here on the podcast. We certainly are, Delaney, and I have a few veterans in my life that I am also celebrating personally, and of course, just celebrating those who fight every day for our freedoms here in the U.S. We certainly appreciate those folks. We absolutely do. And there is an overwhelming amount of people, we've talked about this before, from rural America that continue to serve their country. It's definitely one of the staples of rural America. And I know a lot of farmers who are also veterans. So thank you to all of our listeners who have served our country out there. But before we get to today's interview, Ashton, who is also a veteran and farmer, Ashton, let's talk a little bit of ag news for today. Let's do it. What headlines are you following? Well, as I mentioned, a little bit of a slower news day, Ashton, and I know you reported yesterday a little bit about the fiscal year 2021 bill. It seems now the Senate Appropriations Committee has actually released a draft of that bill, which would provide additional funds, amongst other things, for increased rural broadband. Um, Other priorities are various things, infrastructure, that's a big one, as it always is. Um, But as you mentioned, we're also heading into a lame duck session. And so we're not really sure if something's going to get done, but does seem that negotiators, not negotiators, if that's what you want to call them, I suppose you could, but uh, folks on both sides of the aisle in Congress are looking to potentially avoid having a lame duck session and try to get something done. But that would require a lot of concessions from both sides. So will it really get done? I don't know. Well, if it does get done, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of work for those guys on the Hill. But other than that, Delaney, I am watching some coronavirus news, but this time not in humans. More than 15,000 mink here in the United States have died of the coronavirus since August, and authorities are keeping about a dozen farms under quarantine while they investigate these cases. Global health officials are eyeing the animals as a potential risk for people after Denmark last week embarked on a plan to eliminate all of its 17 million mink in the country, saying that a mutated coronavirus strain could move to humans and evade any future COVID-19 vaccines. Back here in the U.S., Utah, Wisconsin, and Michigan, where the coronavirus has actually killed mink, said they do not plan to cull animals and are monitoring the situation in Denmark. So definitely an interesting development we're seeing there and going to have to follow up on how that goes in Denmark and if the U.S. is set to instate any kind of plan similar to that that they are doing over there. All right. Mink, though, that's a I'm not even I mean, I kind of know what that is, but I don't really know if I could pick that out in a lineup of species. Yeah, they are. I I think they're cute little creatures. They kind of look like a ferret, I guess. I don't know. Okay, that's what I was picturing. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, then, yeah, I was on the right page then. Yes, you sure were. Okay, but interesting species to find that in nonetheless. 
I would have to agree. And I have been seeing a couple of things about Mink in the headlines, and I really hadn't paid too much attention to it. But when I saw that coronavirus geared up with Mink headline, I had to take a look at it. And it's something that I will be continuing to keep my eye out on. I would say so, Ashton. Well, another thing we're continuing to keep our eye on is commodity prices, but more specifically what's causing movements in those commodity prices. We saw soybean futures extend to a four-year high yesterday, and corn prices jumped to the highest price in 15 months after that WISE2 report was released. So that was pretty exciting news there on the commodity side of things. We did see a little bit of a pullback today, but uh, we could continue seeing even more pullback in especially the soybean markets. We saw Jim Romer of Best Weather sharing with folks, reporters more specifically today, that there are some very timely rains arriving in southern Brazil and Argentina next week and may take, may take some steam out of the rally in the grain markets. They, he said that South America is, of course, key, uh, having key months right now for planting and not all La Nina events create major crop losses. So he's thinking that Perhaps these rains will be uh, beneficial to South American farmers, not so beneficial to our continued rallies we're having. So, again, this is very preliminary, but just be mindful that these rallies we are seeing may not be sustained long term if we do indeed see some of those timely rains happen. Absolutely, Delaney. And I actually have yet another COVID-19 news story to share today, and it's talking about the vaccine. Many states are prioritizing food system workers for early access to any COVID vaccine that we might be seeing here in the hopefully near future. Experts say that officials should begin outreach to workers now to overcome any trust, language, or access barriers. A vaccine may be available to farm workers and meat and food processing workers in early 2021, according to plans submitted by states to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in mid-October. But some food system workers who have already labored for months at high risk of contracting the virus may be weary of accepting a vaccine in the absence of targeted outreach from quote-unquote trusted messengers. The food industry has lobbied federal and state officials for months to get workers early access to a vaccine as they are, you know, handling food and working in close proximity to each other. But experts say a vaccine shouldn't be seen as a done deal. It should be coupled with other workplace protection as new cases and outbreaks continue to be reported. So even if we do see early access to a vaccine for these food system workers, they are advised to not just use this early vaccine and continue to use, you know, PPE equipment, social distancing, what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the, the, the standard, the norm right now, if you will. Absolutely. But I definitely thought it was interesting to hear that they are pushing to get early access for those folks that are working, because when it comes to vaccine talk, I think a lot of people are figuring that it'll go more towards people who are at high risk or who might already be sick. But definitely a 
great effort on the part of food industry workers. Absolutely. We don't want a disruption in our supply chain to happen if we do have a whole countrywide shutdown again, Ashton, that's for sure. Absolutely, Delaney. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I just have one more news story for today, and it is involving disruptions in our food industry, more particularly in the state of New Mexico. Last week, the state of New Mexico ordered the 14-day closure of Stampede Meats Sunland Park meatpacking plant in response to rising COVID-19 cases, and now the company is suing. The Illinois-based company is one of the largest manufacturers of portion-controlled proteins, including beef, chicken, turkey, and pork as well as prepackaged meals. And meatpacking plants, of course, were declared by President Trump earlier in the COVID-19 pandemic as an essential business, so they remained open. And even after a a number of COVID-19 outbreaks in packing plants across the country, we didn't see a major shutdown of really any plants unless they did have a large increase or a hot spot, so to speak, in in that area. But Stampede Meat said in a lawsuit filed last week in the U.S. District Court for the District of New Mexico that the company had taken steps to safeguard workers alongside working with state and federal officials. The state's order, which was issued on November 3rd, required the closure of businesses experiencing four or more positive COVID-19 tests during a 14-day period. So then the state deemed that the Stampede Meat Plant to be a business that poses a, quote, significant health risk. So I uh, thought it was pretty interesting because I think that New Mexico is one of the more liberal states when it comes to this kind of stuff. And they they do have a, a democratic governor right now. So it's not really a surprise to me. But it, it was a surprise that that number was only four positive COVID-19 tests, but they are taking COVID-19 measures pretty seriously in New Mexico, from what I understand. I think there we're kind of starting to see that really happen all over the country, Ashton, and shut down a little bit, honestly. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news for today. I had all COVID-19 news to share today, which uh, hasn't happened in quite some time. But what about Mm -hmm. you? Are you all out and ready to hit the market? I certainly am, Ashton. And as I mentioned, markets pulled back a little bit today after yesterday's exciting moves higher. But uh, still, we're at some really favorable levels. So I don't think we should be complaining too much here, especially if you are a grain farmer. Maybe if you're a livestock farmer, it's not making feed prices so favorable for you. But uh, let's kick things off here, Ashton, first in the corn in the corn market, the December contract closed lower five and three quarter cents to a close at four seventeen and a quarter. The March down four to close at four twenty seven. In the soybean pits, the November contract adding five cents today to close at eleven forty three. The January up six and a half to close at eleven fifty two. Chicago wheat pulled back heavily today as the December contract shed ten and a half cents to close at five ninety eight. The March down ten and a quarter to close at six oh six. Hopping over. To take a look at the livestock markets, we saw mixed trade again yet today. The December live cattle contract added 52.5 cents to close at 112.40. The February up 17.5 to close at 115.27.5. Feeder cattle pulled back as the November contract shed a quarter to close at 140.60. The January down 20 to close at 140.20. Lean hogs also weaker on the day as the December contract 
losing 32.5 cents to close at 64.80. The February down 17.5 to close at 66.40. And wrapping up our markets with the Class 3 Dairy Futures. November shedding 33 cents to close at 23.48. December down 83 cents to close at 18.19. Without further ado, Ashen, let's kick it over to our conversation with Cody Miller. Today on the podcast, we have Cody Miller, who is a farmer and veteran on a very special day here in the U.S. Cody, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. No problem. Thank you for having me. So to kick things off, why don't you tell Delaney and I and our listeners just a little bit more about you? What are you farming and maybe just a little bit more about your history? Well, um, I grew up on a small cattle operation in southern Iowa and when I turned 18 I wanted to go see the world so I joined the army for no I was gone for almost 13 years and um, traveled about I was an interrogator and did uh, counterintelligence and I got to do and see a lot of neat things and then um, decided to come home and uh, start farming and I'm trying to continue on what my grandpa and my dad got me involved in at a young age and as you guys know that can be uh, quite the quite the challenge as a as a young farmer but one that you know was gone for the better part of their youth and uh, is transitioning over it's it's quite the transition. Absolutely. And Cody, first of all, thank you so much for your service. But I wanted to ask your opinion, because I feel like so many folks in rural America, we see them take the route of serving their country before heading back to the farm. Why do you think there is such a large population of folks that live in rural America that are eager to stand up and serve? Well, some of it has to do with, you know, patriotism and and those sort of, we'll say, standard kind of answers because that's just the the culture you're raised in. And then the other part for me was I didn't really want to farm. I wanted to be on the first train smoking. <laughs> you know, I was I was ready to go do something with my life and see the big world, and, and I did. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either. It was I, I wasn't the college type. I didn't want to go to college. Um, <clears throat> necessarily i was tired of school and you know among other things so i i uh i went and i lived in italy uh for a few years and i lived in maryland and arizona and and uh a few other places and and there was no place quite like home um when i decided to get out it uh it i just wanted to raise my family in in this kind of culture so, um, you know, doing earthwork with our hands and, and, you know, having my son grow up, seeing what he could do on a day-to-day basis and look back and say, yeah, I did that. And, and, uh, I think that was the biggest draw for me. I, I didn't really want to live in the big city anymore. And there are quite a bit who, who do move back to the city after they leave. There's not a lot of veterans returning to rural America, which is, uh, which is unfortunate because it has so much to offer. But on the other hand, it it's really hard to get a 
gainful employment in a lot of these areas, among other things. And when you can, you know, go to the city and, and have a little bit better lifestyle. Absolutely. And I think that's a nice segue into talking a little bit more about the Farmer Veteran Coalition, which I know you're a part of. Tell us a little bit more about that organization and how you work with folks in rural America, getting them rehabilitated or whatnot after they've served. Well, um, I'm fairly new to Farmer Veteran Coalition. I mean, I'd heard of them in the past and they have a mentorship program, which I'd like to be part of someday. I'm currently, you know, if somebody called me, I'd be be more than happy to assist them in some way. Uh, but I think it's it's really nice to see an organization that says, "Hey, this is important, and it can be a good um, way of life for veterans getting out of service." I mean, we've had a a, a lot of responsibility. You know, by the time I was 25, I had more responsibility than most most people get in their life. And then to move home and and like I said, you look for employment or whatever. And it's like nobody wants to trust you with with responsibility, which is is so distant to a, a veteran and a soldier um, that, you know, I, I mean, I sure I've. I've got the Kubota tractor that I got through the geared to give program, but that's only a fraction of what I've been in charge of, you know, and there's a lot more liability for me, obviously, because I got to make it or break it on my own. And, and that's the other benefit of farmer veteran coalition is there, you know, it's kind of to be a support group and help people come up with fresh ideas and have conferences to, to talk about best practices and, you know, innovation in agriculture and give the veteran that farms, I mean, gosh, we're real spaced out, you know, and, and it gives a way to communicate with other people. So you mentioned the Geared to Give program. Why don't you elaborate a little bit more about what that program was and how you actually got that Kubota tractor? Um, well, I was doing some research online trying to see what was out there for veterans trying to get into farming. Um, I have a, you know, I have, I own my own 40 acres and this year I rented my grandfather's land. Um, and, you know, just trying to make all those numbers work on a limited budget, you know, uh, a few thousand dollars goes a long way. And that was a grant that they'd had. So I was hoping to get the grant to help me get a loan for a tractor that's more my size. A, a lot of what I've seen so far at Farmer Veteran Coalition is a lot more of your your smaller farming operations, such as uh, chickens and hogs. And, you know, and I'm up there around the 200 acre range now renting. And, you know, I, I bailing hay, I need a little bit bigger tractors. So I was hoping to use that grant to get a loan to go buy a little bit more recent tractor um, to help get things going and and get me on the right foot because it's something I use every day, you know, haying cows, baling hay, just day-to-day operations. And so that was what I needed. So I applied and there was a a lengthy application process. several pages about 
what your your goals are with farming, um, what you intend to use for the uh, tractor. Um, you know, I for me, there's a lot of healing going on here with PTSD and um, other post-service related issues, you know, and being on a farm really just helps me relax and, and look at things in a more realistic, uh, grounded view. And where I got started at was in a Arizona on a, a small cattle ranch. That was where my healing started. And if it wouldn't have been for there, I probably would have never left the military and so I, uh, you know, I got moved home and, and what I would like to do someday is start a, a, a nonprofit uh, called First Lion Farms. And that's my long-term goal is to give first responders and veterans a place to, to come and learn about farming, um, learn about themselves, do earthwork with your hands and and get grounded in a little bit of everyday life that, you know, just because you're out on the road, you know, patrolling, whatever for your day-to-day life, that there, there's more out there than that. And there's a place to go relax. And there's a reason why you're doing it. Because it, it's really easy to become jaded sometimes, I think. And, you know, I, I'm not here to be some type of guru. I'm just here to help facilitate healing in whatever means is necessary for, for our first responders and veterans. So that, that's my long-term goal. Um, I'm in the process of trying to work with the university of Iowa to get, um, the legal paperwork set up. And of course, 2020 has kind of thrown a curveball at everybody. So Mm -hmm. it, it's all been put on the side, but I, I think, I think there's a lot of room for healing and growth and and that's my mission in life. That's what I'm after now. If I could wake up, somebody said you could help people every day by farming. I would be in uh I don't even know. I I'd just be thankful. Absolutely. Absolutely, Cody. I, I have a, just one, one final question for you, since this is, of course, Veterans Day, and we've got a lot of listeners, I'm sure, that have served or know folks that have served, but specifically for those people that were like you or are like you, live, grew up in rural America, wanted nothing to do with it, but now are in a point where they're ready to find out what's next. Maybe they've served and they're coming back or whatnot, or know somebody that has, or is that at that point in their life, what advice do you have for those folks that are looking to head back to the farm after serving their country or being in that transitional period? Bring your grit with you. (laughs) Um, It, it's a lot of hard work. Um, a lot of sacrifice, even more so almost and in some ways because, you know, it's very capital intensive. It's going to stress you every day on whether or not you can, you know, whether or not you got cash flow and you're making money for from year to year. And, you know, initially it can be very um, concerning because like, I hope I got enough to make my house payment, you know, I, that kind of thing. Um, but you just got to go do it. 
Um, do your research and go do it. There's waiting isn't going to get get you ahead, any. It's just going to put things off one more year. Whether it's finding five acres to rent from somebody just to go put a handful of goats out on there and um, try to market those or eggs, whatever your goal is, you know, just you got to um, use resources available, which is, is great for, you know, to have Farmer Veteran Coalition because it is a, a resource that you can look up and call people and and uh, ask questions. But people want to come home and get into it and you just got to come home and do it. Don't, don't be reckless, do your research, but it's going to test you. (laughs) Well, Cody, once again, thank you for your service and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We truly appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, um, I'm always available. If, if you guys ever need to chat again, I'm, I'm always up for a good chat. Well, again, a big thank you there to Cody. And again, thank you to all of our veteran listeners who tune into the Ag News Daily Podcast. We certainly appreciate you. And we couldn't live in this country if it wasn't for folks like you. Absolutely, Delaney. You are certainly right. We truly appreciate all of the service that our veterans have provided for the U.S., but be sure to keep up with the Ag News Daily podcast as we still have two more episodes to go this week. You can always listen to those on agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.